0: Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you to be in the house of God, before the man of God, before the word of God, before the spirit of God. We pray and present ourselves as living sacrifices for you to form us and, Lord, transform us. ...to the image of your son. Make us obedient. Make us the expression of love upon the earth, the light of the world... ...as we celebrate Christmas in the coming days... ...that we might be an expression of the spirit of God upon the earth. Joy, peace, and goodwill to all men, Father. We pray that you prosper your word in our hearts... ...that we might be thirsty and hungry for righteousness. We repent for not walking in your ways as we should... We pray that the spirit of God would be strong in our lives, stronger than any other spirit that pulls us in another direction, Lord. We pray, Father God, that your word would be a lamp unto our feet, that it would be a light unto our path. Speak to us clearly, Lord. Open the eyes of our understanding. and Give us growth and give us the capacity to be your people upon the earth, Lord. We give you thanks, Lord, and we glorify you and we magnify you and we praise you in the house of God, Lord. Father, thank you for our children, and our children's children, that they'll be mighty upon the land. Thank you for your word, Father God, that is a good seed planted in good hearts that will give forth good fruit, Lord. Direct our steps as we desire to please you in all things and give us clarity in this season of darkness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen and amen. We were talking about Luke chapter twenty-one. We we had mentioned it a little bit. Uh, Some people are are concerned about the last days. I'm concerned. Uh, I don't want to miss out God's time frame, His clock. And Luke chapter twenty-one, verse seven, the disciples, even two thousand years ago, when they walked upon the earth with Jesus, they asked them these words. They said, "Lord, teach us when these things will come. When will these things take place?" What will be the signs when this will appear, uh, there be when these things are about to take place? What are, what are some of the signs and symptoms of, of the things Jesus was talking about? So verse 8, he says, do not be careful that you're not deceived because there will be strong deception in the last days. Um, Yesterday, I was watching a documentary about uh, Vladimir Putin, uh, the president of Russia. And so this takes over the last 15 years of the life of this individual and put in a context and put into a half hour program, a documentary, you get to see the good, the bad and the ugly and you get to see the end result. But during those 15 years, these waves of craziness upon the earth that at any one time if you're looking at anything for what is being said at the present it is not a very a very clear indicator of seeing it 10 years later and looking back and saying "Woo, that was scary so so times are so deceptive as we're living them we can't see with the clarity to judge them but as time goes by you say oh that was that was a, a, the devil. That was the antichrist. So Jesus is saying in the last days, you got to be careful because they will be deceptive times. Take heed, you're not deceived. For many will come out and, and say, I'm with God and take my name. Um, I am he and the time draws near. Therefore, do not go after them. We're, we're not followers of movements. We're not followers of people. Uh, That's why knowing the principles and the patterns of God are powerful because they don't sway your heart in affections. Everything that's cultural and fad, they move your heart. Look, right now, uh, in the last 20 years, sexual immorality and perversion was strong inside Hollywood and the media. And now everybody's getting fired for being sexually perverse and immoral. So 20 years ago, it was like, hey, it's cool, the guy, he's famous, he has money, he has the power to do sexually all he wants. And today, he's without a job, and he's thrown out on the curb. So if you would have lived by principles and patterns, you would have never got stuck in what was cool at the time, and now leaves you without a livelihood. So in this regard, the last days will be full of deception. Uh, People will be moved. Verse 9 says, you will hear of wars, all sorts of commotions. Do not be terrified for these things. There's going to be rumors of wars, North Korea, Iran, Syria, uh, all around the world. Um, These things must come to pass, but the end will not come so quickly. So he's setting up for these things. Verse 10 says, nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now, somebody told me. That this particular verse, if you read it in the Greek, it's not necessarily nation, geographical areas, the north against the east, but age, old people against young people. It's talking about generations. Generations. Uh, a, grand, a grandson's generation will fight off his grandfather's generation. A son will fight off his father's generation. You're too old. So nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be an adversity of these generational uh, moves. The great earthquakes, verse 11. We know that in Mexico recently it was horrible. I heard stories that were crazy. Um, there, there will be these earthquakes in diverse places, famines, pestilence, Um Fearful sights, great signs, the hurricanes, the fire, uh, great signs shall be from heaven. All these are symptoms. Uh, Before all these things, uh, they shall lay hands on you and persecute you. Um, All these things, verse 13 says, it's an opportunity for us to give testimony. So if you say, God, why are you allowing the earthquakes and the floods and the hurricanes? Ah." So you talk to people about Jesus. That's a good one, all right? When everything is stirred up, you're the... This is why we're not to put our trust upon this earth. We're, this is not our home. This is, we're pilgrims and stranger. We're passing through this place. Uh, this is—I've—I've uh, I've had in the last couple of weeks here, uh, people in their thirties, forties, and fifties—they have died. And and he's like, how could you die at the age of 30, 40, and 50? Look, the age expectancy in the old days was up to 30, 40 years old. That's how long people live. Now we live up to 80, so when somebody who's 40 or 50 dies, we're like, he died young. No, no, no. In historical times, in Jesus' times, there wasn't the the medication and the technology we have today. Uh, They talked about a a transplant of an artificial heart. Like, we don't need your heart no more. We're going to put in an artificial heart. You're like, what? Uh, the plumbing and electrical and all that stuff they're doing today keep a man alive well into his hundreds. Um, but in biblical times, age 40, you're, Jesus died at 33. 33, he was off the earth. So um, we, we start late with a lot of things we do for God. So that's why when we die at 50, 60, 70 years old, we think we die young. But no, uh, we've overextended our state. Uh, yesterday was funny because Clarita, how many know Clarita? Four years ago, she was having a heart attack at home, Right? And she goes, Lord, please let me make it to the gala. (laughs) Just one last time. That was four years ago. And last night I went up to her and I said, listen, you're overextending your stay. You said one more gala and it's been four. So next year I want this chair for someone else. (laughs) No, i was kidding. You're overextending your stay. We're here to do the will of God and get out of here. That's what I was telling the men last Monday. Acts chapter 13, verse 36 says, David served his generation in the will of God, and then he died. That's all you're supposed to be doing here. Serve your generation, say, in the will of God. In the will of God. We don't want you to be doing your own thing and then to check out. We want you to do God's thing and then check out. David, after he served his own generation, doing the will of God, he fell asleep and was buried. That's, uh, listen, when I pass away, you guys will know that I was done doing my work upon the earth. And it's a great day of celebration. Because I was able to do what God called me to do while I was alive. So there it is. It says all these things will be taking place as an opportunity for your testimony. Verse 14. Settle it therefore in your hearts. Do not. This is Luke 21, 14. Settle it therefore in your hearts. Not to meditate before what you will answer. Don't worry about stressing out explaining what's taking place upon the earth. I will give your mouth wisdom. To speak to your adversaries, and and they shall not be able to contradict or resist you. When you lift up the explanation in God, that's the end of the story. Uh, Verse 16, and you shall be be betrayed both by parents and brothers and kinfolks and friends. There's going to be great disloyalty. Betrayal amongst the closest of people. They will put some of you to death. The word death is separation. There are some people that have put me to death already. They've decided they don't want to have anything to do with me because of my passion for Jesus Christ. So don't look at it strange as some people like erasing you off their telephone book and your email and they don't follow your Facebook and all that stuff. Don't, don't make it strange. As soon as you're following Jesus Christ, that'll be reason enough for them to put you to death uh, that separation. Verse 17, and you will be hated. Woo! <laughs> the haters were there at Jesus' time. They're still here now. Uh, you shall be hated for all of, my, of all men for my name's sake. As soon as you introduce people to Jesus or his reality or his testimony, people will have animosity with you. Um, And I've been hated. If There's there's one word that describes my relationship in many fronts is I'm literally hated by uh, incredible people. They just despise my presence. They despise my words. They despise my passion. Uh, But I love verse 18. Not one hair on your head shall perish. God has our back. Uh, I've lost my hair, but not because of my haters. (laughs) Amen. Verse 19, this is where I wanted to touch upon, "In the midst of all these things, stand firm and keep your souls. Keep your souls. I want to discuss this morning that each one of us have the responsibility for our souls. Um, this element inside of you, it's who you are. You're a living soul. You have a body. Some of us take care of our bodies more than we do our souls. And our souls is the substance of that thing that Jesus came to seek and to save. He's the savior of our souls. Why not the savior of our bodies? Because our bodies will perish and return to the dust from whence it came. He formed man from the dust of the earth. So some of you are taking more care of your physical body... Uh, this this is phenomenal. This is phenomenal. Here's, here's what a medical doctor says. If I were to start a general practice and I was a doctor for people, I would charge $50 per visit. So $50, come and visit me. I'll check you up, Make sure your physical body, the vital signs are perfect. And the people says, but $50, man, I could have, I could go and, and spend that on a gift. I could go... and and get a massage, but they they don't care about their health here. And then they go to another doctor called the plastic surgeon, and he says, you know something, this procedure is going to, you know, your lips, your your, your cheeks, $10,000. Really? That's all? (laughs) $10,000? Oh, I could get that. And people would rather pay $10,000 to, (whistles) and not $50 to take care of their health. And this is the generation we're living. So it's amazing. And this is said by a doctor. He says, I would rather become a plastic surgeon. And he, his first year of practice in plastic surgery, he made a million dollars. And as a normal doctor where he was saving people's lives and helping them with their health, people were not interested. So he says, okay, if people are not interested about their health, I will make them physically beautiful for a season. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure that it helps. So some of these ladies in the 60s went out and got a beautiful butterfly tattoo on their back. But with time, it turned into like an evil dragon. <laughs> this, this graceful butterfly, right? And then. <laughs> so plastic surgeons went out and got, um, and got a lot of money. Thank God for plastic surgeons. These ladies start doing their, their eyes and then their lips and their cheeks and then their this and then their that. And they're like, when they were taking a picture like this, beautiful face, the droopy hands, the, the wrinkly, they're like, ah! So that's to say that your physical body is going to perish. And there's nothing more beautiful than aging gracefully like your pastor. And then here's what I tell the older ladies. Listen, by the time you're 50 years old, stop wearing jeans. Ooh, Gloria Vanderbilt, that's a blow to you. Um, Listen to me. I'm just, I I remember grandmas having long dresses, being in a rocking chair, taking their teeth out, and just rocking... And enjoying talco, you know, the talcum powder. The, the fragrance of talcum powder at a grandma's house. That's not going to happen nowadays. Why? Because grandma wants to look like she's her daughter's daughter. No offense. I want to suggest that this is an issue of the soul. These are unhealthy souls. Because the soul is desperate. And that inner longing for just a million things starts there. That's why in in that chapter 21 of Luke where everything is on every front, he says, be steadfast and keep your soul. Make sure that you're addressing the needs of the soul. Because if you're not addressing the needs for the soul, you're going to go, like Joshua said, on a roller coaster. You're going to be all over the place, and it gets messy, and it gets ugly. And we're getting hit on the soul on every side. So thus, stay, uh, keep steadfast and possess your soul. This element is found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. I had an issue with it when I first got saved. I couldn't tell the difference between my body, my soul, and my spirit. I, I, I just conglopped them all together, and I was a big mess. But then I read the Bible, and I see here, the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground. That's physical body. The dust goes back to the dust. And if you want to maintain your dust at its highest level, more power to you. That's great. But it's going back to the dust. It will never be more than dust. That's that's what God did. It's a a dust issue. Uh, Dust will return to the dust. And he breathes into the nostril of this formed man the breath of life. And that's when man became a living soul. He, that's the word, uh, a living soul. It says living being there, but it actually is the word soul. The existence of who we are is the breath of God upon us that brings about the existence of an eternal body called the soul. And, and this, this, this body that's called the soul that possesses the physical realm... Um, Belongs to God. Ezekiel eighteen four. He says, "Behold, all souls are mine." You might think that that you belong to you or you own yourself. No, you belong to God. All souls belong to God. The lost souls, the found souls. They belong to God. The souls of the Father as well as the souls of the Son is mine. And those who sin, the soul who sins will die, will perish. So uh, sin is is the destruction to the soul. It's the kryptonite. It's the destruction. It brings the soul to be diminished. Um, we, We need to be delivered from sin. That's what Jesus does. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, there's where I learned that man was triune. You need to understand that you're taking care of your physical body, but you must take care of your soul. You must take care of your spirit. May the God of peace himself separate you, sanctify you completely. What is completely? Your spirit, soul, and body. There it is. Who you are. Is the entirety of the spirit, the soul, and the body. If you don't understand this triune existence, you marry a woman who poisons your spirit. She gives you what you need on a physical level. She gives you what you need on an emotional level. But she does not supply what the spirit needs. She doesn't know how to pray. She doesn't read her Bible. She doesn't listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. God is spirit, and those who worship him must, spirit, must worship him in spirit. So the flesh and the soul cannot help you. And that's why many marriages come to an end because we need a spiritual powerhouse like Yvette in my life. A woman who knows God, a woman who's connected to the Word of God, a woman who prays in the spirit. A woman who does not allow depression to have an onslaught on her soul and suck the existence of my life and my children's life. Why? Because she's a spiritual woman. She's not thinking about worldly cares and worldly priorities. And she's not not wavered. Uh, Our house burned down two years ago. And I said, what is this woman going to do? And she said like this, Jesus was here before the fire and Jesus is here after the fire. You know what that is? A spiritual woman. A woman who's connected to God. And I'll thank God for the rest of my life that when I went to choose a wife, I didn't look at the physical. I didn't judge the emotional. Her flirting and her charm did not impress me. What impressed me was that she loved Jesus Christ more than I loved Jesus Christ. She had a lively spirit. She served in her church. She loved her pastor. She honored her parents. She walked in such a way that I said, I need that part of a woman's spirit. To join my spirit and be a perfect helper. If I had not known the difference between a physical body. A soul and a spirit. I would have gone way after physical attractions. That's why I pray for the single men in this church. That they would go blind when choosing their wife. Do so you notice all the amens? None. <laughs> because it's more important that you judge Virtue. Then you judge physical appearance. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Because you will be a cursed man if you judge on the external and depleted the spiritual. And so I praise God for men who fear the Lord, wise men. And so there it is physical, soul, and the spirit. And he wants to sanctify, he wants to se- separate these three things unto himself. 1 Thessalonians 5:23, the very God who will give you peace will be able to deal with you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body will be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ecclesiastes 12:7 says, For the dust will return to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Those are the expressions of, of these things. That's the Old Testament. Uh, I had to read the New Testament to see the clarity of the difference between the body, the soul, and the spirit. And then Jesus addresses there in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 Come to me, all of you that are carrying huge weights of weariness and burdens. Come to me. You who are working through this stuff with heavy weight of burdens, I will give refreshing. All right, there's nothing more. Listen to me. You don't see somebody who's refreshed in their soul being tormented or afflicted. When you see somebody severely depressed, you can't take an x-ray of it. But if you were to look at the soul, it's a soul that's been broken. It's a soul that's been battered and beaten and tormented and afflicted and abused. That's the torment. It's in the soul. And he says, I will give you rest. Verse 29 says, this is the manner in which I will do so. Take my yoke upon you. Take that which restrains your soul from my vantage point. Listen, if you see my three sons, they're 22, 21, and 20. You see the joy they have is because of the yoke they've carried for 20 years. You say, well, how does a yoke bring happiness? Because it's it's, it's restrained them from the passions of the soul. I haven't allowed my sons to say, oh, dad, I'm 12 years old, and I'm lonely, and I really need a girl. See, that's the soul that's anguished. What he needs is not a girl. What he needs is a relationship with Jesus Christ. He needs the spirit of God to soothe the soul so that when he gets married, he doesn't tell his wife, I really need some pornography because I'm really just, you know, you're not enough. And so in his soul is being captive into the porn world. Because he hasn't known how to come to Jesus and take the yoke upon himself. Learn from Jesus. Being gentle and lowly in heart so that we might find rest for your souls. In the day of many being anguished in the soul, we need to find out how to be refreshed. How to find rest. Psalm 42 verse 1. He says, As a deer pants for the water brooks. As someone who desires to satisfy their thirst, my soul longs for you, God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When will this affliction and anguish be over that I can appear before you? Verse 6. Why are you, no, verse 5, I'm sorry. Why are you so downcast, my soul? Look what he's talking to. Whenever you feel anguish, torment, afflicted, it's not your husband's fault. And all the men say, amen, thank you, pastor. <laughs> it's not the man's fault. It's not the economy. It's not the, it's not the relatives. You're not to blame anybody when your soul is afflicted and in anguish. I hate my mother-in-law. That's the declaration some people will shout when their soul Is being tormented and afflicted. has nothing to do with mother-in-law. You're supposed to be a refreshing to your mother-in-law. So she sees Jesus in your life. So she sees peace and joy. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why are you so disquieted within me? Why are all these voices rising up for the needs that I have? Legitimate needs of embrace. Legitimate needs of of being... um, was it valued, being uh, respected, being honored, having a presence? Why is my soul so stripped? Why are we longing to be far from the Father's house? Why did the prodigal son take his inheritance and leave? Where was he going? Where was he going to end up? He was trying to satisfy his soul when he had finished wasting himself like the Samaritan woman. Um, Jesus says, listen, you've already wasted five men and you're working on your number six and you still haven't been able to satisfy your soul. You haven't found to quench your thirst. Psalm 42 verse six, he says it again. Why are you so downcast? Why are you so depressed? This is the number one cause of suicide in America is depression of the soul, the torment of the soul. The anguish of the soul, the soul is lost. You buy a boat, you want a yacht, you want an airplane. You're, you're seeking to satisfy the yearnings of the soul. You want a bigger house, a bigger land, bigger cars. No, my friend, you need to thirst and hunger for God. Verse 11, he says it again, Psalm 42:11. Why are you so depressed within me? Why are you so cast down, my soul? Why are you so upset? Why are you disquieted? Put your confidence and hope in God, for I will praise him. He is the helper of my countenance. He's my God. In these days, my responsibility as a pastor is to shepherd, to to be accountable for your souls. I, I called all the men up here two weeks ago, and I put them up front. I said, you guys are the captains of the ship. You need to navigate for your families so that they might find safe haven and harbors. I praise God for the wisdom of following Jesus Christ. Psalm 43, verse 5, he says it again, the next psalm. Why are you so downcast, my soul? Why are you so upset within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the helper of my countenance and my God. I I want to suggest that coming to church is a place where you get to minister to your soul. You get to address the afflictions and cares of this life. You get to embrace direction and allow Jesus Christ to shepherd your soul in all things that reflect a weary soul, a lost soul, a burdened soul. I love one of my favorite verses in the Bible. We're going to go to John chapter 4, verse 14. He tells a Samaritan woman, whoever drinks of the water I give him will never thirst again. When you drink of these waters, uh, this young man here came about 12 months ago. And he says, pastor, I've gone crazy. I go, what do you mean you've gone crazy? Yeah, I think about Jesus in the morning. I think about Jesus in the afternoon. I think Jesus in the at nighttime. I don't need what I needed before I met Jesus. I have it all met. All my needs are taken care of. I, I, I celebrate. I praise. I worship God day and night. What's happening to me? I said, you just got saved, brother. You just met the salvation of your soul. You, you don't need anything else. when you're, He says, whoever drinks of these waters. What is he talking about? Physical? No. I have to say this joke. Sorry. This is what teachers hated about me. It was a man in Cuba, and he was protesting. There's no food. There's no food. There's no food. And he did it for days and for months, and the government got tired of him, and they grabbed him, and they took him to jail. And they grabbed a a hose, and they stuck it in his mouth, and they turned on the water for three days. And it says, do you want something? He goes, no, I'm full. See, you weren't hungry. You were thirsty. All right, let's go back. You'll never thirst again. You won't need a boyfriend. Woohoo! You won't need somebody to be fancying your affliction, because it's an affliction of the soul, it has nothing to do with relationship. She said, he says, "You've had five men and you've destroyed them all. There's nothing worse than a woman who doesn't know how to shepherd her soul in the things of God. She's desperate. She wants a diamond ring, one carrot, two carrots, three potatoes. She wants all things to satisfy the emptiness of her heart. You'll never be able to compete with that emptiness. She needs to drink from the waters that that Jesus Christ offered. The water that I shall give you will become in you a fountain of water, a spring, a wellspring for everlasting life, everything you ever need or want. And so John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the nourishment of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I've been offered great deals across the world, monies upon monies. And my soul has been quenched and satisfied from above. It doesn't matter where I'm at and what's going on and who I meet. I'm, I'm satisfied with the one who saved my soul. There are things that war against the soul that come and ransack and ambush your soul of your need for things and possessions. So this is one of my favorite verses, and if you know me, I have many favorite verses, but this has to be up there in the top 10. John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last and great day of the feast, Jesus stands up and calls out to the crowd in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, come to me and let him drink. This invitation for all peoples and all places to come and to drink has to be... One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. He satiates your soul. You're not going to need the things that this world is calling out to you for. If anyone's thirsty, find out what area of your life you're making people discontent with. Because it doesn't matter where you attain and what level you get to. You will thirst for the next level and you will burn out people. You will burn out friendships. You will burn out relationships. There will be no church in the planet earth that will satisfy the longing of your soul when you don't understand that it's Jesus Christ that fulfills you. That a relationship with him is all you need regardless, hands down. And so in this relationship with Jesus Christ, you are quenched in your thirst. And this is how the Bible describes it, Hebrews 6.19. This relationship will be like an anchor for your soul. When you see somebody without steadfastness and they, st- they need the next business deal, they need the next breakthrough, they need the next scenario, you need, they need an anchor because they're going to be tossed to and fro. We have a hope that is an anchor to the soul. They said, Lord, I want that anchor. I want that, that that pulls me close to you. When you don't have an anchor, 1 Timothy 1.19 says, those who refuse to walk like this have become shipwrecked in their faith. Shipwreck means you don't, you're not driving the boat no more. The boat is driving you. You're not living life anymore. You have no understanding of this next verse, Matthew 16.26, where it says, what profit will a man obtain if he gains the whole world... But is unable to address the needs of his soul. There's there's nothing like allowing yourself to be groomed in your soul. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? I've had men tell me I would give my entire wealth if I had the peace that you have. I would give all that I own. Multi millions upon millions if I had the wisdom that you have. And so that is what Jesus brings to us. He saves our soul. He brings a lot of blessing. So that's why the Bible says in Matthew 10, 28, Fear not them that could kill the natural, the physical body, but be careful when those are able to kill your soul. Fear rather him which is able to destroy both the soul and the body. Uh, In these last days, we need to press into this scenario. This has to be at the forefront of our passion and pursuit. We have to care for the souls of our wives, our spouses, our children, our family, our relatives, our coworkers, our community, the nations of the world. The souls are the most important thing. Some people make material possessions important. Luke 12, 19, Jesus says, And I will say to my soul, this man, Soul, during these many years you've laid up many good riches. Soul. You've laid for yourself good and many years. You can take it easy, eat and drink, and be merry. Have a good time with your material possessions. What's the response Jesus and the Spirit of God would give to this man? Verse 20, you fool. You nesial. You dimwit. Somebody has stripped you. Because you placed your importance on material things, and tonight your soul will be required of you. Then, to who will these things belong that you are making provision for? 1 Peter 2.11 says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you that you live as pilgrims and strangers, abstaining from those things that pull You, the things that pull you, you got to find out what is your priority. What is at the forefront of your pursuit? I I want to know. The Bible says it should be caring for your soul. Because things war against your soul. They make you lose important relationships for things that are, are soul issues. So what do you need when you're in a war against things that are warring against your soul? You need... 2 Corinthians 10.3, you need the weapons of your warfare are not physical, but spiritual. For though we live in this world, we're not engaging in war like this world does. I had a man, I was teaching on spiritual warfare, and he came up to, he got mixed up. He says, hey, pastor, that's why in my garage I have a grenade. Just in case, you know, anything breaks out, I got it. I was like, no, dodo bird. We're not talking about physical armory and weapons. We're talking about spiritual ones. We're talking about putting on the armor of God to put out the darts of the enemy. We're talking about waging warfare that's coming against your families. Verse 4 says like this. It says, for though we are, our weapons uh, of our warfare are not carnal, but they're much more mighty in God to pull down anything that raises up as a fortress Something that's, that's trying to keep us away. You're bringing these things down to not separate you from the things God wants you to know. Uh, verse 5, he says demolishing, casting down arguments. Every high thing that lifts itself up against the knowledge of God. Bringing them into captivity th- through obedience. So you start obeying the word of God and making it your priority. And you'll see prosperity like you've never seen before. When we went up to the Chick-fil-A headquarters... I was walking on the premises, 26,000 acres they have up there. And they have buildings that are crazy. He put millions and millions of dollars to bring it up to a five-star hotel resort. And it, we're having it, the place is about this big, just the cafeteria. And they have stalls on both sides. And it used to be a dairy farm in the 19, early 1900s. And so they had cows, cows, cows. And they were milking the cows. And I was sitting there having this five-star breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I looked to my side, and I saw the stables that used to be there. They're refurbished, they're, they're brand new, they're, they're shining, but you could still see that you're inside this old barn, but it's millions of dollars poured into it. And I said, I can't believe I'm sitting here eating a five-star breakfast, lunch, and dinner where people used to milk hard cows. And, and dairy work is hard work and sweat and years of labor. And here I'm sitting eating a lavish meal where these people paid the price. So I'm thinking, you know something, uh, we're way ahead of where we should be in regards to our natural needs. Then they put a guy up there, his name is Clay Dyer, he was born without arms and without legs, and he's a professional championship fisherman. Well, I was like asking, how do you fish without arms and legs? How do you hold the rod? He does so with his chin and his, and his shoulder. And then you should see how he reads the Bible. They put a Bible down on the floor and he went sideways and he opened up the Bible with his chin and turned the pages with his lips so that he could read the Word of God. I was like, wow, I felt so bad. I have two arms and sometimes I don't want to pick up the Bible to read, I don't want to turn the pages with my fingers. And we become so messed up in our souls. We become so afflicted in our scenario. James chapter 4 verse 17 says, If anyone knows what he ought to do which is good and doesn't do it, this is sin to him. To not do what you're supposed to do for your soul eats away at your soul and it destroys you. So 3 John 1-2 says, I wish that you would prosper in all things. And this will be to the degree that you prosper in your soul. If you don't nourish your soul, if you're not close to God, if you're not hearing God, it doesn't matter how prosperous you are. The richest men in the world have blown their brains out with a shotgun. Because they had much possessions and zero refreshing of the soul. And that's not who we are. And that's not where we're headed. And we don't want to leave this legacy to our children. Ephesians 6.16 says, above all, taking the, field of, uh, the shield of faith so you can extinguish and quench the fiery darts of the evil one. I want to suggest that the, the devil's not aiming at your forehead or at your heart or at your legs. He's aiming at your soul. And if he could afflict your soul with his fiery darts, you're going to miss God. Let's stand this morning. Let's stand this morning and say, Lord, you are the shepherd of my soul. You are the savior of my soul. I need not fear or anguish or be tossed to and fro. I want to suggest that out there in this world, in our generation, we are being totally assaulted in our soul. We're longing and and thirsting for things that bring no satisfaction. They say that something that is poison to a sailor is when he drinks out of the ocean the salt water. He thinks he's quenching his thirst and it's really bringing him to his death. And so this world is the same. It's offering all sorts of expressions of things that we would acquire and we're sacrificing things God has provided. Father, this morning we've been in the house of God. And we know, Lord, that if it wasn't for you who came to seek and save that which was lost, you came to save the souls of men. And that that would be our number one priority, the saving of our soul as the end of our faith. We pray, Father God, that the men that are here that hear this message will take responsibility and prioritize the needs of the souls of their children over the expression of satisfying and quenching the thirst of their own souls, Lord, in a manner that does not quench. We pray, Father God, that we would listen to the voice of Jesus. If anyone is thirsty, let him come and drink, and I will give him water so that he will never thirst again. Father, that this would be a reality in our lives, that you would be our source and provision for all things. We might have solid marriages. We might have solid families and children, that our finances would be prosperous, and that we might prosper such as our soul prospers. In Jesus' name we pray, and the house of God says amen, amen, Amen and amen. (laughs) Greet one another in the love of the Lord.